So we are continuing with our series called The Beginning is Nigh, and this is a series through First and Second Thessalonians. We finished First Thessalonians, and now we're going into Second Thessalonians, which is a, a shorter uh, letter by the Apostle Paul, and the, the return of Jesus is a major theme uh, in these letters. But as we get kind of oriented to today's text, um, we're going to go through kind of a couple of visual experiments. Al Seckel, who has done some uh, TED Talks and some other things, he, he talks about optical illusions and how sometimes people can be looking at things and not seeing the same things that other people are seeing. And so we're going to engage in a bit of a, an experiment, a couple of them. And so in a moment, not yet, I'm going to show you um, an image on the screen. And when it comes to optical illusions and visual experiments, uh, this is probably one of the most famous images. I've used it in classes for various things before. And so you're going to be invited to look at it for like two seconds, and then we're going to switch to black. And uh, you're just going to call out what you saw. Okay, so let's take a look. What did you see? Call it out, can't hear. Hat, a girl with a bonnet. How old was the girl? Older, younger, older, older. Anyone else see anything else? A lady. Okay, so let's put it up again. Next slide. So, <clears throat> yeah, the bonnet at the top, and a lot of people initially see just when they have a, a second to look at it, uh, they see an older woman, and on that white part on the left is her nose, so she's looking this way. Then her mouth, right? Um, and then the bonnet, kind of the back of the bonnet's going down, okay? Other people see a young woman, okay? And so now basically the young woman is kind of looking over her shoulder this way. The bonnet's still the bonnet. But what was the eye for the older woman is like the ear. And what was the older woman's nose, that's kind of the profile of her cheek with her, her nose kind of protruding, uh, protruding out. And then what was the old woman's mouth is actually like a, a tight necklace on, on the neck. See that? Okay. So what we're going to do is hold it up there, Ben, for a bit longer. We're going to hold another one, okay? This is two seconds. And here's the next one. One, two, and to black. Okay. What would you see there? Two people? What did you see? Oh, okay. You saw two small people, so not just heads. Okay. Interesting. Anyone else? What would you see? Hourglass? Some sort of glass? Okay. Okay, you want to see it again? Okay, here it is. So initially, you know, you see a, a, a couple there. Uh, but if you look at their faces, there's two people in like traditional Mexican clothing, right? And it might be hard to see from a distance a little bit. So the guy on the right side is holding a guitar. And look at right in the middle, there's a chalice between the two faces, right? And even in the man's ear, there's someone coming out of a door or something. And the more you look at this, the more... Uh, you see. Now, all of this has to do with the art of noticing. Okay, next slide. And so that, that is, is what we're going to explore today, the art of noticing. Because life is often like this. How often do we go through life and we see things? We might see things that other people are seeing, but we're not actually seeing the same things. Maybe we're not noticing to the same degree that they are. Right? And so there's an art to noticing. What are we seeing and perceiving around us? Why sometimes can we have a very similar experience to someone, hear the same things, see the same things, and yet come to different conclusions? What are we paying attention to? What are we not paying attention to? And this also happens in the biblical text. And so we're going to look today because in today's text, there's something on the surface which is going to be very obvious that we are all going to see. But there's also going to be something that is not so obvious. And you need to practice the art of noticing with the text and in life. 
to see what the Lord is communicating to us. So with that introduction, we're going to jump into 2 Thessalonians. And if you've got your Bible and you want to open it up, that is great. Uh, again, this is part of the series. This is the first part of 2 Thessalonians, and um, it's written by the Apostle Paul. Now, it says Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, so three authors. Paul is the principal author. Um, he's just come out of 1 Thessalonians where he's been talking about the return of Jesus, and that's very exciting. Uh, that's very strange in some, in some respects if some people haven't heard of that before. And so uh, they want more information, and so he is going to provide more information. Uh, chapter 1 is going to talk about judgment. Um, chapter, after that, chapter 2, he's going to get into things that need to occur before Jesus returns, like something called the rebellion and the man of lawlessness appearing. So we're going to get into that shortly. Um, but also, this church has experiencing some challenges because he's written to them once already. He's provided information about how we are to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, some of the things that will happen. But at the same time, in chapter 2, verse 2, you get the sense that someone, perhaps posing as Paul, has written them another letter, which has confused them all the more. And so this church has problems both outside and inside. Outside, they continue to experience some of the persecution that they first had when they became a church community. Uh, and on the inside, they're dealing with uh, false teaching or at least um, confusion. And so Paul writes to address some of these concerns. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a central theme. We will return to that verse. Grace to you and peace. Okay, verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers brothers and sisters, it's a generic term, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So he's praising them. He's saying that they're doing a good job. Even in the midst of this persecution, outside some of the confusion inside, uh, he highlights how their faith is growing and their love is increasing which is a great, I think that's a great uh, metric, by the way, for church health. Increasing faith, increasing uh, love. Therefore, verse 4, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for, and here he's going to name two things that he's praising them for. He boasts about them for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. That's amazing. They are, they are persevering with their steadfastness and faith. There's an old anonymous saying of, of a wise man that traces at least to the 1300s, probably back earlier. It says this, Thou shalt stand immovable in joy and sorrow like the bones of the dead. How awesome is that? Thou shalt stand immovable in joy and sorrow like the bones of the dead. That is immovable. That is steadfastness. And in the midst of all they're experiencing, uh, this, is, this is what he's commending them for. Verse 5, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. We're getting serious. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So the, the people are afflicting them God is just, and he will afflict them back. So this is to give them comfort. Um, and so he's mentioning a, a variety of those things there. Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God 
and of those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord <clears throat> Jesus. So, a couple of very serious things here. And so, <clears throat> here he gets into the vengeance. And this is what is very obviously going on in the text. And so, he says he's going to exercise vengeance, and he names two categories of people. One, those who do not know God. And we need to take that very seriously, because I think when we think about sins that are, um, that are egregious, that are, that are bad, what are the things we initially think about? We think about murder. We think about child trafficking. We think of those sorts of things. It is a very serious sin to reject the God who created you. Okay? Did you realize in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, it is, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he goes on to mention a second category, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So there's one of those churchy words, gospel. It means good news. Good news. So good news about what? Well, we are strangers and aliens to God. We are, you know, we are, we are, we are opposed to God. We are hostile naturally to God. But Jesus, so the good news is Jesus, who he is, the, what he has come to do. So he comes. And what he does is he dies in our place, paying the price for our brokenness and sin. And in so doing, because of what he has done, not what we have done, remember Ephesians 2 that I read earlier, because what he has done, not what we have done, he reconciles to us to God. So we are restored to this peaceful relationship with God. This is central to the gospel. And then we get adopted into God's family, something which did not happen before. We become heirs of all the promises of God, this beautiful gift to us. And God's spirit starts to live and work within us. And we get to be a part of the renewal of the things that God is working on the earth. This is central to the, to the gospel good news. So if we are, you know, if, if we are you know, enemies and hostile to God, and, and God comes in the person of Jesus to, to pay for our brokenness and our sin out of an act of great love, to reconcile us to God, but we, out of our obstinacy, reject that gift of reconciliation. That is a very serious thing, and, and judgment and vengeance uh, is coming. <clears throat> Continuing, verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, meaning Jesus being glorified amongst his people, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Okay, um, it's interesting here. Um, the punishment, the vengeance, is to be shut out from the presence of the Lord. And the word that's used there for presence of the Lord could also be translated as face. To be shut out from the face of, of the Lord. Dallas Willard tells a story about a young boy. And it was, a, it was a scary night. He had a nightmare or something. Anyway, he needed that assurance from, from his father. And so he went into his parents' bedroom, got into the, the bed of his father. It was very dark so he could see the outline, but the blinds were closed. Daddy, is your face turned toward me? There's just something about knowing that his dad was actually facing him that gave him security and comfort and blessing and peace. And the dad said, yes, son, my face is turned toward you. And so when God's face is turned toward us, that's blessing, that is favor, that is goodness, um, that is grace in our lives. But when the, when the face of God turns away, all those things disappear. <clears throat> Verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of the calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. 
So that, so here's the purpose statement, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's that word grace again. And so what his prayer for them is that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified within them. And so that's another sign of grace in our lives. How amazing would that be to pray for people? Ah, oh, Ben, may the, may the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified in you. Keith, may the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified in you. Val, may the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified in you. That is so great. There is a Puritan writer, William Gurnall, who says, Man's heart is a house that will not stand empty. Man's heart is a house that will not stand empty. And so when it is filled with the name of the Lord Jesus and, and, and we are glorifying him with who we are, that's such a beautiful gift and grace from God. Okay, this is the word of the Lord. All right, so at the start of the sermon, I said that uh, what we're going to do is we're going to try to see something that's obvious in the text and also something that's not so obvious, okay? And so what is obvious in a text like this? Well, it just jumps out at us. It's judgment. You know, to, to not know God and to, to, to not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus and to be shut out from the presence of the Lord, that's the obvious thing that everyone sees, and that is a very serious warning, and so we need to see that. <clears throat> but here's the not-so-obvious part, that as God's people... We are encased in grace. We are absolutely encased in grace. And this is some of the intent of this passage. But if we're not paying attention, what happens is we just see the thing that is obvious. But this is operative. So many places in this text, we need to see this beautiful gift. And it is an encouragement to the people of God. And when you think of being encased in something, it's above, it's around, it's within, it's everywhere. So we're going to look at three things. And the first is that we are encased in grace from above, as it says on the screen. Where does that come from? Back in verse 2, it's not only a greeting. He's teaching them something. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. What is grace from above? Grace is generosity that you don't deserve. Because we're broken and we mess up. I mess up, you mess up. That's what grace is. And we receive it not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And he gives us this grace because of Christ. And it's this beautiful, wonderful gift that we get. And it is something that when you are in Christ, no one can ever take that away from you, regardless of the difficulties you're facing in your life. You're given it in Christ, and you persevere through life within it, within it and out the other side of the door of death. <clears throat> now, Martin Luther, the great reformer, talked about this, and he said, we, just, we forget that this is a grace from God that sustains us through life because we say words like grace and peace all the time. And here's the metaphor he uses, and it's so good, and I'd like to repeat it. So imagine there's a prostitute, and the prostitute, she has rags, her life clearly isn't very good, um, <clears throat> she's basically poor. But then this king comes along, this noble king. And this king has it all. He's got a kingdom, and he's got royal robes, and he's got this great inheritance and everything else. And he falls in love with the prostitute. And she falls in love with him. And so all of a sudden, everything is changed for the prostitute. All of a sudden, her rags are traded for these royal robes. Her identity isn't now fundamentally a prostitute because she's left that life. She is the queen. She is royalty. And all of a sudden, everything that the king has is hers. The, the inheritance, the kingdom, the name, the dignity, everything. We're the prostitute. 
Jesus is the king. So what is the church called, the people of God, in the New Testament? We're called the bride of Christ, the bride. So he marries us out of his love. He sees us in our rags, and he, and he, and he brings us into the eternal kingdom, and those rags are traded for robes of righteousness. We have a new identity in him. We belong to the king of kings, and all of a sudden we are given this inheritance uh, we are children of blessing. Everything is given to us, and nothing in your life can take that away. We are encased in that grace from above. Second, we are encased in grace all around us, all around us. And this is so easy to forget. And by the way, when I say this, this does not mean that everything in your life is great, because I know it isn't. It does not mean that everything is good and that every week is wonderful and coming up roses because we know life is not quite like that. But what it does mean is that when we open our eyes, we see there are so many blessings all around us each and every day. Now, where does this come to us in the text? Well, if you look at that verse 9 that says, that, that warning, those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> so think of that for a second. What that means is that in this life, we are actually in the presence of the Lord. Now, for those who are in Christ, that will continue beyond death. But even in this life, people who don't believe in God are still going to experience some measure of incredible blessing simply by living in God's creation. Okay? And so some people who look at this and who don't believe in God, they say, well, you know what? Um, I'm not worried about being shut out from the presence of the Lord because He's not really a big part of my life anyway. He hasn't done anything for me. I haven't seen evidence of, of him. And so those people conceive of God kind of like a cosmic Santa who's on a cloud somewhere. And he might come once in a while and give a gift at Christmas, but he's not really involved in their life in a meaningful way on a day-to-day -day basis. But those people are radically underestimating the fact that every good and perfect gift, James 1.17, is from God. So they're experiencing so many blessings in this world and in this life simply by the fact of living here. <clears throat> I'm not making this up. Jesus says so. Matthew chapter 5. God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, simply by living in the world, regardless of your beliefs, you're going to benefit from the sun and from the rain and from the harvest. And these are gifts from God, and every day they are a reminder about his goodness around us. And so this past week, I decided to make a list one day uh, in the morning of some of these blessings as reminders that I'm encased in grace all around me, quiet, fresh air, a home, comfy pajamas, a flush toilet, fresh coffee, my Bible, sleeping children. The, I'm also thankful when they're not sleeping. The privilege of talking with God Almighty, birds chirping, the sunrise, raspberry jam on toast, watching trees sway, a neighborly conversation, the promises of Bible verses reverberating in my mind, dry shoes, geese flying overhead, the sun getting warmer, fresh water from a tap, a car to drive, the sound of music in the sanctuary, crossing guards, teachers helping my children, a compliment, a smile, and this was all by 9 a.m. We are encased in grace all around us. Third, 
We are encased in grace from within. Now, in verse 12, what does Paul say? He prays that the name of Jesus will be glorified within them. And so this is an internal grace. So when people become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to dwell within. We call this the indwelling of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit starts to live in and through us as people and do that work. And so that when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives, we get to be a part of these beautiful blessings and these beautiful graces. May the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified within you. And so this is an internal grace. We've been experiencing grace from above, grace all around us, and we have this grace within us. Okay, so I've been talking about the art of noticing. And so since we can get so busy in life, and since we can get so distracted, we easily stop noticing that we are encased in grace. And so I want to give you a tip. To effectively practice the art of noticing that you are encased in grace, you may need simply to pay closer attention to what is happening around you. We rush and we scurry. Rushing is not a friend of noticing. Rushing is not a friend of noticing. Well, that's what happens, and we are not even... We're so, we're so used to a busy lifestyle that sometimes... You're, it doesn't matter. You could be retired. You could be not. There's so many ways for us to sort of not just notice all the grace and goodness around us. About a month ago, I was, you know, 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, and you got that, oh, I'm tired. You need a bit of a perk-me-up. So I thought, I'm going to go down to Tim's and get a coffee, and I could probably use the fresh air. And so I thought, well, I could drive, you know, down Downsview to the one down by No Frills. I could drive down there. It takes like a minute. Or I could walk, which would be 10 minutes. I decided to walk, which took longer. I've been down that road like 500 times. And I saw things I had never seen before. What's that house doing there? But, oh, th those people, they've totally renovated their entire yard. I didn't even notice that before. I've been down there hundreds of times. Now, why did I not notice? Because I was going fast. I was driving in a car, right? And so it's practicing the art of noticing, and we've got to push back on this idea that this secular cultural worldview that everything is by chance and none of this has to, anything to do with God. No, we need to fall in love yet again with the beauty of everything. God's fingerprints are everywhere. They're everywhere. A sunrise is God's fingerprint testifying to the beauty of this creation. The laughter of a friend to me, that's the fingerprint of God testifying just to the simple joy of life and friendship. The birth of a baby is a fingerprint of God testifying to the miracle of life itself. The fact that we have trees that create oxygen, the fact that stars are hanging in the sky, the fact that the planets spin, all, these are all fingerprints of God testifying to the majesty of it all. Finally, to effectively practice the art of noticing that you are, in fact, encased in grace, you may also need to give yourself permission to smile and enjoy life a little bit more. See, life gets hard and difficult, and you've all been through difficult things, I know, because many of you share them with me. You've been through difficult things, and it's hard, and, and, and that kind of gives us an edge, and, and I don't want to diminish that at all. <clears throat> but that's not all there is. There are good things in the world. Even when our faith, we talk about commitment and, 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 and disciples and persecution and standing on the word and the difficulties we will face. You want to know what God also says? It says to rejoice. What about 
Psalm 16, verse 11, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What about Philippians 4.4 that Jeff reminded of us last week? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Why does he say it twice? Because they need the reminder. And so do we. Give yourself permission to smile and enjoy life a little bit more as you simply take notice. So brothers and sisters, we are encased in grace. And so let's practice the art of noticing. Noticing that we are encased in grace. And when we do so, we will become increasingly confident in both the majesty of God and the mercy of God. Why? Because we will remember that his face is turned toward us. All right, one last visual experiment. Excuse me. So it looks like kind of a blotch up there on the screen. And uh, hopefully this, this works for people if you're at home. I'm not sure if you'll be able to totally work. But here's how this works. Uh, right in the middle, uh, you see four dots, four vertical dots. And there's kind of like, it's like two black spots that look, look kind of like hearts, but um, they're not. There's four dots right in the middle. I want you to stare at those four dots. Don't look at anything else. We're going to do this for about 30 seconds. And then at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to switch the screen. Not yet. We're going to switch the screen, you're going to blink, and you're going to tell me what you see. Okay, so let's just concentrate on those four dots. Just look at those four things. And for those who are listening to this on a podcast later, sorry, you'll have to trust us. (laughs) Just focus on that. You're halfway there, keep focusing on the four dots. Almost done. Keep looking. All right, switch the screen. Start blinking and tell me what you see. The face of Jesus. Everyone see it? Most people see it? Isn't it amazing what you start to see when you look at things differently? Let's practice the art of noticing. We are encased in grace. It's all around us, and we don't notice it all the time, so that doesn't mean it isn't there. And when we do, we will be increasingly confident in both the majesty and the mercy of God because we will see that his face is turned toward us. Amen.